0: Well, this morning, um, before we get into the text, we're um, going to, a couple things, uh, address one, happy happy 4th of July, early. Um, We uh, hope, I hope uh, maybe some of you don't have to work uh, um, on Monday, um, get a really long weekend. Uh Now 4th of July is, there's a tradition that's growing in my life over 4th of July. So last year, and I'm going to say this just because it's true and you probably shouldn't say it, but I'm just going to. So last year, my idiot brother-in-law, uh, would that be the right way to say that, Deb? Yeah, he shot me with a, a Roman candle and uh, have a hole in my favorite shorts and uh, a third degree burn on my leg that I took care of for about a month. And so, uh, and then uh, let's see, Kinsley broke her arm on the fourth last year. And, and then this weekend, I uh, was cutting a tree and I have four stitches as of yesterday at three o'clock in my hand. This is awesome. I love it. Uh, and maybe instead of my idiot brother-in-law, I am the idiot, right? I'm always doing things to myself, and so hopefully this isn't our new tradition. I hope you have better traditions than we do on the Fourth of July. But the best tradition of all is that what a what a wonderful country that we live in, that we get to have the freedoms that we do, and to celebrate them over this Fourth weekend. Um, one other thing before we get started today, uh, many of you, some of you know, um, we have a we have a local church, Mission View. Um, they came in; they're a church plant from Maranatha, and they came here three or four years ago. And their lead pastor's name is Steve Marshall. Um, Steve and I have become friends. And one of the things I hope you know about us, and I hope you don't feel this way, I hope we all feel the same on this: um, local evangelical churches are not our enemy and they are not our competition, but they are our brothers and sisters in Christ working toward the same mission in which we are, and we need lots and lots and lots of good and healthy and strong churches in our community that are proclaiming the name of Jesus. This week, well, about six months ago, Steve was diagnosed with cancer, and Steve began a journey of um, going through treatments, and last week, or two weeks ago, um, the, the treatments began to not work, and some things came back. They scans and. Um, Steve announced to the church, I, th- I think last week, that the doctors had given him one, um, one year to two years of life left. Now, Steve, in that, he's hopeful that he will be healed, um, but he's also preparing um, for <clears throat> the worst. And so, what I thought would be appropriate for us to do today is to pray for him, to pray for his family, and to pray for uh, for for Mission View. Um, as they go through this time, that God would continue to wrap his arms around um, that f- the, the Marshall family and also the Mission View family, um, and God would continue to use them in great ways in our community. And so if you will, let's bow together and let's lift them up this morning. <clears throat> Father, I'm grateful today for a man like Steve Marshall, who you've used in so many ways um, in his life and in his ministry, and Lord, already today he gets to watch his legacy move forward. And Lord, I'm so grateful for that. Grateful for his heart of desiring, as your word declares, that every man, woman, and child in our community would come to know you and love you and to live for you. His desire, Lord, that you've united us together and of seeing churches united. And Lord, in this, this time for the Marshall family, Lord, we pray that you would surround them, that your hand would rest upon them. Lord, our desire is that Steve would be healed. We ask for that. Lord, we pray that you would use him, and I know this is his desire, Lord, that you would use him for your glory, however many days that you give him. Lord, and uh, for the Mission View family, Lord, as they walk through this time and this season, God, would you give them everything they need? Would you you unite them closely and use them in great ways for the, the gospel here in North Canton and surrounding Lord, we, we, we lift up Mission View, we lift up Steve, we lift up his family to you today, and Lord, pray that your hand of grace would rest upon them and help them in these difficult times. Lord, we praise you that you do, and we praise you for how you hear us today. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you would, continue to pray for um, <clears throat> Mission View, continue to pray for Steve and, and the family as they walk through this. If you will turn with me this morning to Mark 13, that's where we'll be reading from today, and we're going to do the whole chapter. So we're going to be in 37 verses. So buckle up. Uh, uh, <clears throat> there's some challenging things about this text, and I'm going to kind of let you let you hear into those. Um, the first, um, kind of as we look at this, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat ahead of you. Just so you know, if you don't normally pick up the Bible, you might want to today because we're going to kind of go pretty fast and go back and forth, but that's up to you. So um, <clears throat> that's just to be helpful. So Mark 13. Um, so in this text, what's going to happen is we have, we have multiple things happening at once, uh, multiple kind of uh, types of literature. So Um, In the Bible, you know, you have, like in normal life, you have poetry, you have newspapers, you have historical books. And so when you read a historical book, you don't read it like a poem, and a poem you don't read like a newspaper. Are you with me? Right? And the Bible is written much like this. You have poems that kind of have one main point, you have parables, you have historical context, you have all these different things. Well, wonderful thing is in this text is all of those combined into one. And which makes it a bit of a difficult text. And so, l- let you end a little bit of the discourses that are connected in this text. So you have an eschatological discourse. It deals with the end of the age. You have prophetic discourse. It prophesies of the future. So it's telling not just of, of it's, it's, there's kind of a double prophecy found in this. There's one that will prophesy of 70 AD. There's going to be prophecies of what's going to happen to the disciples in their lives. And there will be prophecy of the very end of times. It's, this, it's the Olivet Discourse, kind of known that. It's from the Mount of Olives. It's apocalyptic. It reveals the future of the world and the end of the world and the establishment of a new world. <clears throat> in, in some ways, it also fits into last will and testament or farewell addresses. And so we'll see this with, with the Apostle Paul we will do this, and we'll see it in, in Old Testament. We see it in some of the, the Gospels. There's this kind of last will and testament. Kind of Matthew 28 is one of those last will and testament texts. Um, so, um, so we so we we have that, and then we also have this exhortation and ethics encouragement to do something in light. I know that cry and, and and exhortation, in light of it's good. I don't even hear it barely anymore. And so, uh, <laughs> sorry, babe. So uh, encouragement to do something in light of the immediacy and the and, and clear practical value for our lives. And so there's going to be these ethical um, exhortations of, of action that we must do in light of the information that we have. And so, so in this text, is, are you with me? It's all of those things are kind of mashed into these 37 verses. And the reason we need to deal with all 37 at once is because really the last section of this text is the big idea. And so in some ways, there's a lot of truth that is kind of put through the whole thing. But in light of all that truth, there's one major exhortation that Jesus is going to make at the end of the text from Mark's writing. So the big idea, just before we dig into it, is Jesus in this text, the big idea of Jesus in this text is this, is for us to watch for his return, not to be deceived by the events, trials to come, not even some inexpressible destruction that will come. The temple was to no longer be the object of Christian hope and to bring assurance of the return of Christ and promote faithfulness in the present. So in this text, another simple way of saying this, there is an attempt in these writings that we might not become excessively consumed with end times or skeptics of end times, of the things to come, but there is a healthy healthy balance of the two future realities and the present implications of living. So I don't know if you've ever heard anybody teach on End Times, if you watch TV, and there's this like major desire we have, it seems like, to know when is the end, when, is all, when are all things going to come to be. I don't, what's funny is I don't get caught up into that as much as you type A people out there, because you just want to know what's next so bad, I don't even care. And so, uh, so anyway, some are you with me? We just had a war and a family, I just, I just sparked it, and so... Um, so, so there's this part of this insatiable desire that we want to know. So, so in this, I, I, <clears throat> we're going to read it, but before we do, there's going to be some things in the scriptures that you read and you think, is that really true? I mean, is Jesus really going to come back on a horse with a sword on a cloud? That sounds kind of far-fetched, doesn't it? Are you with me? I mean, there's some things that we read in scripture. I mean, come on, it sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? A little bit. You guys are thinking, Ryan's being a heretic right now. What's he saying? I can't laugh at that. Here's the deal. I have a God who has done the supernatural from the beginning of time till today, and he will always do the supernatural. And the things that make sense to us don't, the the things that we think have to make sense, they don't make sense. I've got a God who by his own very word created the earth, and I believe that. I, I have a God who made a global flood to reset things. And through, through, through that arc, humanity was reset. I have a God who split people's languages and they separated to all different parts of the earth. I have a God... Who, who took this man named Joseph and took him through all kinds of trial to be a type of Jesus, to, to be a redeemer for his people. I have a God who literally turned water into blood, who split seas. I have a God who provided for people for 40 years in the wilderness. I have a God who, and I'm, can I go on? I mean, I have a God who has done all of these things, and I believe in this text that he's going to do what he's always done. He is a supernatural God who will do supernatural things, not in some archaic sense sense of the ancient past but in a very present sense of our world today. We 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 are so astonished I think when we read about supernatural things because they were meant to be the norm of the Christian life but they're so abnormal to us. And to be honest that's more of an indictment on our brand and our faith and our practice than it is on God we have a supernatural God. And the supernatural is simply the very natural to the believer. Our God has, is, and will always move in supernatural ways. And if we only allow our human intellect, which is so microscopic, and everybody knows that about me, right? Everybody knows that about you, you just might not know it about yourself. It's so small. Compared to his infinite wisdom and knowledge, we have a supernatural God who has always moved in supernatural ways. So, let's dig into Mark 13, 1 through 37. Just one last note before we read it. Just so you know, everything God's ever said that was going to be, it happened. And because of his history, I'm banking by faith that this is going to happen. Let's read. Mark 13, 1 through 37. We're going to read it. I'm going to kind of break it down as we read it, and then at, at the end we'll have some application points. So, and as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. So they're walking out of the temple. Um, this is kind of the last time. This will be his departure from the temple. Next week, we move into the passion narrative. And so we're talking Wednesday here of the last week of Christ's life. He's going to do this all of that Discourse. And then the end, the, the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is coming. And so as he came out of the temple, um, look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings, speaking of the temple. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite of the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? So here he's speaking, um, this, there's kind of this double prophecy that's, that's about to happen, um, when is this kind of destruction of the temple going to happen? Well, it's a double prophecy, and we're going to read more about it in a moment. It's a double prophecy, that it actually happens in A.D. 70. Jerusalem is taken, and, and kind of historians read it like this, is that, um, and you'll read about the horror of it in a moment, but... But, but what happened is Jerusalem is taken, and it's such a horrific event. Men leave and are crucified on the hillside, and the women's hands, and feet, hands are cut off, and they're sent back in the city, women and children's, to die of starvation, of famine. Rome did this kind of abomination of desolation, this, this incredibly horrific event in history. And it happened, and what Jesus is going to say is, in the, in the temple at that time in 80, seventy was again, the stones were taken down brick by brick. So he's speaking of that, and on the Mount of Olives, Jesus will answer their questions about the end of all things in light of his prompting. So they're going to prompt, hey, what's going on with the end of all things? So it continues, verse 5. And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. So here he's speaking of false prophets, he's going to do it in a moment, but he's speaking of of the the present time for them, that that many are going to try to lead them astray in their life, and he's speaking of a future prophecy that many will, in the days and years and months to come, do the same as they are in our very own time today. They will lead many astray. It's kind of interesting, um, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. So verse 7, and when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed, Notice there's a command there, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. So he's saying these are signs, they're not the end, they're signs of the end nearing. But be on your guard, verse nine, for they will deliver you over to councils and you'll be beaten in synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Notice another command at the beginning of nine, but be on your guard. Verse 10, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Again, this imperative of gospel proclamation mixed into this kind of apocalyptic literature. Uh, do not, the gospel must be pro- first proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious Now the command beforehand of what you are to say and say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death and the father, his child and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures, endures will be saved. Now this is this moment where the disciples had to have been like, I wish we wouldn't ask this question because that's some really bad news. <laughs> so here's the deal. I'm going to like be put in prison. I'm going to be beaten and hated by everyone. This is terrible, right? I mean, this is this moment of, this is, this is pre-death, burial, resurrection. This is pre-all, the, 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 the Jesus making a statement. Hey, you've got some bad stuff coming your way. But what he says is be on your guard. And trust, don't be anxious, say whatever is given. See, in this, what happens is this is actually fulfilled. In the book of Acts, what we see is these men who were fools, who asked terrible questions, who were at times in the life and work of Jesus' ministry, faithless, go into an upper room after he ascends, are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they go out and they proclaim, and they begin to be witnesses, and they get put on trial, and they get put in prison, and they say things that are supernatural that they were once fools, and now they're, they're strong, mighty warriors for Jesus, and all of them will be exiled or martyred for the faith. And so all these things that he's saying are going to happen. They, they happened. We read them on the context of scripture. We read them in history that these men gave their lives in the very way that Jesus said he would. And what we saw is they were on their guard. They were not anxious. They said whatever was given to them. And they were hated by many for his namesakes, namesake. And they endured to the end. But, but tucked in this, there's this, there's this, gospel message and whenever we study the end times i hope what it does is it moves us to being gospel witnesses because there's tucked in this it says and it says in verse 10 and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations what he's saying in this is there's this greater work that we're a part of in light of the end times there's this solid rock, there's this place in which we stand, in which we live, and because of the one we love, that we are going to be faithful witnesses to all nations. The thing, it's, it's like this, I, I want Jesus to return, but I want my brother and my sister and my father and my mother and my neighbors to know Jesus before we return. So in light of my own selfishness, return, but, but in light of the reality of this world, Jesus, wait, don't return yet, help me to be a faithful witness for your purposes in this world. And there's this call within this text in light of his return, in light of the end of all things. Wait, see, the reality for every one of us in this room is simply this, that all of us aren't making it out of this world alive. So <clears throat> on Friday, Drew Rhodes, we held his memorial services, a young, young North Canton fireman. 350 people filled this room, celebrated Drew's life, and he died an untimely death. A few weeks ago, we held services for Clarence Blazier, who lived a very, very long life, and a very faithful servant of God. <clears throat> Two weeks ago, we hosted services in here for a young man who was shot in a drive by in Canton. There is a reality in this room, and it's a reality, this isn't good or bad news, it's just news. And there's a reality in this room that basically this is how it's going to go. We're either going to get raptured up and miss all the junk of this world today, tomorrow, or the next, we don't know, or, or I'm going to live a really long life, but someday this body is going to fail. Because, because of the fall, this body isn't going to make it forever, and I know I'm young, but these knees don't feel like they're going to make it to 65. <clears throat> or because of health, because of an accident, because of something, we may die a very young, accidental, tragic death. But it's coming. To each and every one of us, it's coming. And in light of, in light of the end of all things, there's this call that, that there's an end that is coming. And what do we do in light of it? We are faithful to proclaim the gospel and live for Christians. Hear me in this. We will see our Savior one day face to face. We'll see at the end of this text what he says is stay awake. Be active in the mission. And what he's gonna say to these disciples is there's a bunch of stuff that's gonna happen your way. There's a bunch of trials that are gonna come. Some of you might be in a, you might be in a health trial. You might be in a, in a, in a family emergency. You may, you may be, be, be being persecuted for your faith today. And the word of God to you to say is, be on your guard, don't be anxious, be faithful and trust him because he's gonna give you everything you need to do it. And I don't know, maybe... Maybe I've got two more days. Maybe i got, maybe I got 70 more years. That'd be a lot. Uh, maybe. But in light of that, all that I know is I want to do is I want to be faithful to my Savior every moment of every day of my life until I see him face to face because it's coming. It's coming. So the text continues in verse 14. It says, but when you see the abomination of desolation, Desolation. Now, in this text, we're going to move out of, of kind of the 70 AD prophecy and the end times. And so it's going to be a double prophecy, and the double prophecy is going to be the, the reality of what's going to happen in Jerusalem and what's going to happen at the end of time. And so we're going to get a window into when when all things end, this is what's going to happen. So... The abomination of desolation, this repulsive, repulsive to God, abomination, desolation, this horrific event where everything is literally decimated. Standing where you ought to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea, now this is a like for them, like a current in your lifetime, this is going to happen. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house. Now now listen to this, maybe in light of this. So we had these kind of, we had these storms go through and so daddy, right, Ryan Johnston, when the storms go through, I, I kind of like bear the weight of the protector of my house even though like maybe somehow like, like being in the same bed with my children or protecting them or going to the basement is going to do that. There's this, there's this idea for me of, of being one who protects and who takes care of like, those that are around me. And so, so in this text, what, what's gonna happen is he's gonna say it is so, it's gonna be so bad when this happens in Jerusalem. And it was so horrific that he's going to say the normal things that you would do in tragedy, don't do them because it's gonna be so quick and it's going to be so bad. If you miss a second, you're in for it. So it says, those who are in Judea, Judea, verse 14, flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house. So if you're on the rooftop, jump off the roof and go. Don't take anything with you. And last for, it says, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. It's better to be cold than it is, it's better to be cold and alive than it is to be warm and dead. Don't even go back to get your coat. It's going to be so horrific. And alas, for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. And that word could also be translated as storm. So in some sort of weather event that is unconducive for living in mountains. From those days are we such affliction, tribulation, as has not been seen from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. And so, what what he was saying what he's saying in this is there's a there's two days coming, one was in seventy, and one will be at the end of time. And at the end of time, there will be such horror and there will be such terror, right? That 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 there will be such destruction happening in, in the world. Pray that. And then it says in verse 20, And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human beings would be saved. Again, this is the tearing of the Lord, that we would be saved, that we would know him. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, here, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray people, if possible, the elect, but be on your guard. I have told you all things beforehand. So here in this passage, what, what is happening is, so he's told him all these things beforehand. And so the end of it, this abomination is kind of this historical, right, 70 in the end. Then here at the end, he talks about false Christ coming up, people rising up with signs and wonders. And I think this is the key of the whole thing. Just because somebody does something and says something and it looks miraculous and it looks like a sign, if it's incongruent to the word of God, it is not true. God has given us his word, it is perfect, and we pair everything to his word, not to some fantastic thing that someone says. And there's all kinds of movements out there right now, all kinds of them, and do not be deceived by them. There's movements of Hebrew roots movements of going back to the roots of our Hebrew identity as Christians. Just so you know, the temple is gone. Those practices are gone. We have a savior who's exalted on high and he has clearly in the New Testament given us a way to live. And this is how what leads us and guides us under the new covenant. If you are hearing someone who has some fantastic new idea that no one has ever heard, who is published by some hack in South Africa, don't listen to it. And you're like, Ryan, you're like kind of hot about this. I'm just telling you, these are real things that are really happening to people, which might even be another sign of the end because we listen to ridiculousness all the time and we're deceived by it. And we, we move from the very word of God and we move to other signs and wonders, men who say they are something they are not or know something in which they do not. So in this, uh, so in this, in this, he says, "Don't let them lead you astray. Be on your guard," which is again another command. He has told us this um, beforehand. The Bible will authenticate Christ. You know, think about this with Thomas. Um, we often call Thomas doubting Thomas because Jesus rose from the dead, and Thomas said, "I want to see your your scars. I want to. I want to know. I want to authenticate Jesus. This is you." Maybe Jesus. Maybe Thomas wasn't doubting. Maybe Thomas was just being obedient to what Jesus had already said, is be careful, because some people are gonna rise up and say they're the Christ. Maybe Thomas was being wise and obedient. So 24, but in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. And this is the end of time. This is the very end, not seventy. Now, this is a, a prophecy, a looking forward to the end of all things. And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken meaning the heavens and earth, they will go away. The powers of heavens will be shaken. Things are shifting and changing. And then we will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out angels and gather his elect from the four winds, which four winds in the Old Testament was an idea of every corner of the earth, the four winds. It says, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven, from the heavens and the earth, all things, this is a shadowing of the end and the imagery, Jesus will come triumphant in his return. And to Mark's readers, which, which is interesting about this, they receive hope of his return before he writes about Jesus's death. And so this is kind of a, inside of this, they know the end of the story in the middle of the story. So in this, Jesus says He will gather the saved on earth from the four winds, every corner, and to the ends of the earth. Those who have gone already will be gathered back together. Verse twenty-eight. From the fig tree, learn from, from the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see things taking place, you know that He is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. As you see things coming, he says, be on your guard. These things that I've written, be on your guard. It's like the beginning of spring. The winter, the cold, the dark, the desolate has happened, but all of a sudden leaves like the fig tree. It was one of the only trees in that time that would begin to sprout new green leaves. And as they began to spout new green leaves, it was a sign that that, that springtime was coming. And so these things that he has prophesied, that he has said will happen, are signs that the end is nearing. And And then he says, this generation will see this. This was a double. The Christian generation will see the end of all these things. And those who he's writing to in this text in 70 AD will see the reality of what he prophesied about. And they did. And then he says, the physical universe will perish, but God's word and his truth will never, ever pass away. And then finishing, and so this is the, the conclusion, the, the big idea of the whole thing, verse 32 down through 37. It says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father the day or the hour is unknown. Even the Son of Man in laying aside his divinity and becoming man is willfully chosen to be limited in his knowledge, which is mind-bending in some ways about the Trinity. But in this, it says that the Father knows, so, so no one knows the day or hour, but be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. So in the conclusion of this, what Jesus is saying is ignorance of when is no excuse. It is not our job to know when he will return, when he will return, but it is our job to be, be, yeah, be busy doing the Father's work. It's interesting, this end times thing was a, was a common question of the disciples. In Acts 1, we see right before Jesus, we see another account of the ascension in the book of Acts. And in Acts 1 7, they ask a question Hey, Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdom? And Jesus says, and this is my paraphrase, you can read it later. He goes, shut your mouth, stop asking that question and go into all Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. What Jesus said is stop having the wrong conversation. There is work to be done, wake up and get busy doing it. In light of the end is coming. Jesus doesn't discount the end of all things, but I do believe there's a healthy balance of understanding and believing that He will return. And in light of His return, I must be busy doing His work because there is a lot, a lot at stake. So in this, what He's saying is, stay alert. So, in three things that we can kind of hang a hook, hang on to, to deal with this text in our own lives. The first thing, if you're following with me on the back, this will be your fill-ins. First thing is stay strong in trial. What he's calling us to out of this text is to stay strong in trial. Have faith. Trust in a greater reward in heaven for your life. Persevere in persecution. Don't let persecution be the guide of being like, "Oh, I must be living bad." Because bad things are happening. If the disciples would have thought that if bad things happening were an indicator of them being good or bad, or in God's good side or bad side, they would have done nothing. Know that that when we are active in our faith and we move forward, that we might be hated by men. We might not be liked by all. That we we might not like achieve all. That we we might not um, have all that we kind of want from the people in this world. But he says, in trial, have faith, trust in the greater reward, persevere in persecution. See, I think staying strong in trial kind of revolves around this. Back to that kind of storm illustration with my family. Why is it that I am willing to die for my family? And I think I can honestly say that I would die for my wife. I would die for Kinsley. I would die for Adeline. I would die for Karis. And I would die for Rylan. And the reason I would die is simply this. I love them. I love them. And so why? Why give up our life for Jesus? I think it's the same answer. Because I love him. But the struggle comes and why doesn't persecution come our way? Why don't the words of gospel witnesses come out of our mouth. Because maybe we love ourselves. We love our safety. We love our little worlds more than we love him. Or maybe simply we just love ourselves a lot. The reason these disciples lived lives of aggressive obedience and aggressive faithfulness is because they loved Jesus. We stay strong in trial, not because we're inherently strong in ourselves. We stay strong in trial because we have a greater love in our hearts. I said it earlier today, why do we love him? Because he first loved us. Second, we stay alert in understanding Stay alert and understanding. Understanding that the days in which we live point toward the nearing of our Savior. The night is nearly over. The day is almost come. If the night is nearly over and the day is almost come, then I'm just telling you, it's nearer today than it's ever been. And knowing that, understanding, staying alert that the return of our Savior could be soon. So it says, do not be deceived. By that which is false, but let God's word be the guide for our life. Do not be deceived by false prophets and people coming in His name. But let God's word be the 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 that in which we put all of our confidence in, and in that we stay true to the gospels and always the gospel, and let Jesus always be the focal driving point of our life. Charles Stanley, a preacher, said this: the best way in the world to deceive believers is to cloak a message in a religious language and to declare that it conveys some new insight from God. Just so you know, there is nothing new under the sun, and there is not some massive new revelation that anyone is going to get today. The revelation has come from God in its fullness. And I don't know about you but I'm just trying to spend the rest of my life obeying what it says. I don't need a new word. I don't need a new message and I don't need someone to have new insight. For me, the word of God is fairly clear and he made it for everyday people to read in everyday places, to obey in everyday life. And in this, I got enough problems making disciples, loving my neighbor, loving the Lord God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, helping that old lady across the street, helping my neighbor, giving eggs to people when they need them. I mean, all these different things of showing kindness and compassion and love and generosity and mercy. I don't need something new. I don't know if you do. I don't need something new. I'm good with his word and living as obedient to it as I can with my life. And last... Last, day, awake in anticipation. Jesus is going to return. And we are anticipating with joy the day we see our Savior, the one who loved us so much he died for us, face to face. And we will be with him and the host of all those who have believed, worshiping and glorifying him forever in paradise for eternity. And knowing in his return, we also know that we will answer for our lives. And knowing that I will answer for my life causes me to live differently in the present day of my life. To stay awake in anticipation means that we get busy working for our king and our king alone. Remember a few years ago, a year and a half ago, one of our members, Mike Mata, he passed away. He went through a year-long battle with cancer. And Mike would sketch all these drawings in the last um, he, well, he was actually a really good artist, and he would sketch all these in pencil. And one day I was sitting with him. I wish each of you could just have five minutes with Mike in that last month of his life because it was just it was like you walked into this holy place with Mike. And he had this one picture, and in that picture it was kind of this battle scene all around. And there was this one soldier who was down like this, and you could tell he was wounded and about to die. And he had a flag, and you could tell he was waving his flag. And Mike, with tears in his eyes, said, that's me. He goes, I'm about to go down. But I don't ever want to stop waving my flag for Jesus until I see him face to face. And I think that's what it means to stay alert, to stay awake, and saying, I've got a banner that I fly. It's a banner of my Savior, and I want to fly it till I see him face to face. We've already dealt with the reality that we're all gonna see him one day. So in light of that, what do we do? We stay strong, we stay alert, we stay awake. Christians, might you hear these words today and persevere in the faith. And those who have not believed, might you turn in repentance and faith, make the Savior your Savior and Lord and live your life for him until he returns or he takes you home. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your kindness. We thank you for your word. We believe it is true. Jesus, we believe that you are going to return and one day we will see you face to face. And in light of your word and what we've read today, help us to be vigilant for you and your purposes. Lord, we are aware that in our day, that many of these things that are written in your word seem to be pointing to a nearness to your return. But we recognize that we do not know the day or the hour. So help us be busy waving our banner for you until you return. Lord, for the one who's not believed, help them today to turn from their sin place their faith in you as Savior and Lord. We thank you that you're a supernatural God that moves in supernatural ways. We praise you for how you've done that in our lives and how you will one day forever make all things right. Help us to respond well this, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand, we'll sing. As we stand and sing, these altars are open for you to come, heal and pray and deal with whatever God's saying to you today.